Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Two Tongues Podcast. Just just Chris coming at you today. A uh, little bit of a change of plans. It's the Thanksgiving holiday, and things are uh, a little bit a little bit unusual in terms of Kyle and I's schedule. So we were trying to push this thing back and do it later, and didn't end up working out. And I contemplated not recording and making you guys miss me for a week. But then I decided, there's no way I can do that to you guys. i got to get on here and say something. So what's up? Uh, a couple things. My wife and I, I, put, I throw her into this category, but I don't think that's fair. My I don't like to hold on to gifts. Okay, so it's the Christmas season, and I did really good this year in terms of like buying everything that I needed to get. I mean, I was done. It's not even December. I've been done. See what I mean? That's unusual. So we just did that this time. Here's the problem. I got a bunch of gifts for people sitting here, and I I like giving gifts, man. It makes me feel good. I want to give the people I love the things that I thought that I thoughtfully purchased for them, and you know, see the appreciation and the smile, and the reaction, and uh, you know, like giving gifts, man. I'm doing that for me. Um, so I've got these gifts here, and I'm finding it very difficult not to give them to the people I bought them for, even though they're for Christmas. Okay, Christmas is, you know, a month away. So I tell you that just to tell you that uh, I've already given my wife three of her Christmas presents. And uh, she gave me one yesterday, or was it this morning? Maybe it was this morning. It's pretty awesome, you guys. So I'm sitting here. In the podcast studio. Hold on one second. Ah, you hear that? You hear that? Mm, that's um, that's beer. Draft beer from the local brewery. I'm drinking it out of my Christmas present that I got before December rolled around. Any guesses what that is? It's super dope. Super duper dope. It is a... Viking-style horn cup, like a hand-carved horn cup. It's made of ox horn. My wife, my wife's family is from. Well, their 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 family were Vikings. There's no doubt about it. Their their family's from Scandinavia. They're all blonde and you know the whole the whole thing. So I think she might have she might have got this for me more more out of interest for herself. But it's awesome and it's mine. It's like black and gray and uh, marbled looking and it's just sweet. 
So anyway, I'm going to drink some beer, and I'm going to talk to you guys about a topic that I keep trying to bring up and haven't been, like, prepared or ready to talk about it. So this is what I thought I would do. Rather than just bringing it up from time to time and never doing a good job of uh, bringing it to you, I'm going to have a drink. I've already had one of these. So I'm going to have another beer with you guys today uh, out of a horn. And we're going to talk about light. Light. Oh, boy. What does Chris have to say about light? Well, you you may remember I brought it up once or twice, and I I said I, I wanted to talk more about it. Because it pops up in two of the areas that I'm lightweight obsessed with. Um, And I say that just to be kind to myself, I'm totally obsessed with. One of those areas is mythology. And it pops up in religion and mythology in all kinds of interesting ways. The second place it pops up is in physics. And because of my interest being with consciousness, understanding that in a religious way, and some of the really interesting connections that I've talked about that have to do with physics, mostly, mostly it boils down to the idea that that quantum physics, um, that those experiments require an observer, a conscious, conscious being like you or I, to observe, right? To, to notice what's going on or to carry out the experiment, that it takes a consciousness to do that. And so consciousness has to be factored in to, to these experiments. Um, and the reason is that when you get down to the quantum level, as it turns out, observation actually impacts the experiment at that at those levels of sensitivity you know at that s- small micro scale the idea that you're taking a measurement actually actually makes a difference in the experiment it's a mystery there's not a lot of um, you know consensus about it but it goes back to the very beginning of quantum physics and it has to do with something that uh, that Niels Bohr and John Wheeler would refer to as wave function collapse very technical you know, quantum physics jargon, but the idea is when they do these classic experiments, try to figure out whether the fundamental uh, elements that make up the universe, what they're they're like. Are they a particle? Are they a wave? This has been an argument. And when they do the experiments, they, they find out it's kind of both. And we don't know if it's the, if there's some sort of observer effect, you know, and this is what Niels Bohr said, that it's possible that the fact that you've got somebody doing the experiment and observing it, that the act of observing it collapses the wave function. So that's, you know, I know I didn't do a great job of explaining what that means, but it's absolutely revolutionary. It's the idea that something might be in the form of a, in the form of potential, in a wave of potential. And without anything actual there, it's just a potential it's a probability wave is what they call it in physics. And the act of observing the wave collapses it into a particle. Now it's a distinct thing with distinct properties rather than this wave that's just this cloudy, you know, uncertain state of existence. So something about your consciousness plays a role. And light is one of these things that gets talked about, you know, because the light is made up of um, photons, and photons are these quantum particles, and quantum particles have that type of uncertainty. You know, they don't exist, you know, with with a, a measurable certain momentum and a measurable and certain position. Um, they don't exist as a particle or a wave, but somehow as both simultaneously. So 
when we get down to the nitty gritty and we're talking about something so fundamental as light, it's really muddy with physics. So it's interesting, but it's muddy. So there's this idea that light seems to have a key role in physics. It also seems to be highlighted in religion and mythology and folklore all over the world and all across time. And it's just interesting to me, probably because I don't understand it as well as I want to. And this is something that I've been tossing this around and I think it's probably worth doing is uh, seeing if I can't get like an adjunct professor or a graduate student or maybe a tenured professor if they're willing to come on the podcast and just let let me ask them questions about this and get some expert to, to kind of flush this out for me and maybe maybe that would help. Um, so maybe we'll do that in the future. We'll see. And if it works out, maybe we'll do more of that because that sounds like fun. Okay, so where to begin? Let's, let's start from the physics uh, perspective since we kind of did already. And this is something I talked about a little bit already, but I'll just bring it up again. When we're talking about light, first of all, I want I wanted to describe something that's weird about light that you may never have heard of, uh, you may never have thought about, rather. And it's something like this. Until, until there was light, you know, until gases started burning in space and light was produced, you know, as a consequence of combustion, whatever that means, it's a freaking mystery to me. But before that happened, you can imagine that the cosmos were infinite and black. You know what I mean? There would have been things there, but you wouldn't have been able to see them. And to a certain, there's a, way, there's a way of understanding it is that you wouldn't have been able to measure them either. They would have been invisible. Without light, it's sort of hard to say anything is there exactly. And there's a way in which you can say, well, you can't see it. Without light, you can't see. And then maybe that's why I'm focusing on this, you know, tr- pretending like the, like the moments after the Big Bang is, is comparable to me sitting here today. You know, it's not like you turn the lights off and I'm blind, um, but something like that, before there was light, you know, it's not, I'm not really sure. Like, I'm not sure. Certainly things wouldn't have been visible, but there wouldn't have been eyeballs then anyway. So, you know, the idea of vision isn't exactly important. Uh, but the idea of things existing in the darkness and being somehow hidden, um, you know, hidden from what? Hidden from who? I, you know, we're talking about the beginning of time. You know, it's it's it's... Well, that's the realm of that's the realm of mythology, you know. We start talking about God, you know, and we will. Uh, but there's something really mysterious there. What was the cosmos like before there was light? And 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 then there's the idea of the speed of light, the idea that when we study the f- physics that make the cosmos tick. What we find is that nothing can seem to move faster than light. And that's weird. And on top of that, when you start getting into things like relativity, like moving so fast um, that time begins to slow down, then you have, then you have complications now where, where, where the idea of time starts to, starts to make less sense. It starts to become a little bit more slippery. So there's some really interesting things in terms of the speed of light. 
Um, nothing can go as fast, you know, as fast as light. Things can approach the speed of light, but when they do, time starts to slow down. What in the hell, man? That's relativity. What does that mean? It means that light is somehow the upper limit of what's possible in terms of motion. It's the upper limit of, it's like the boundaries of, of what's possible in physics. It's like, it represents something like, like that, like the rules, or maybe the only rule. And if you start, if you get close to even trying to break that, that rule, time starts to slow down. So there's a connection between light and time. I mean, what is that? Sorry, I'm making a note. All right, so there's this, this idea of the speed of light being the kind of upper limit of what's possible. And then you, you've got this connection to time, which is really hard to understand and hard to explain. And then you ask yourself, what is light? And we already talked about the idea of like on the, on the quantum level that these photons that light is made up of, that they exist as a particle and as a wave at the same time. It's called particle wave duality. So that's weird. It's like light doesn't exist in any sort of certain way, or, or at least this kind of goes back to that uh, conversation, Kyle and I, this hippy-dippy conversation we like to have, or I continue to drag him into, kicking and screaming. It's the idea of objective reality, that Terminator 2 substance behind our perceptions. You know, this, this is tied into it. It's like when light is observed, then it becomes a particle. And when it's not a being observed, it's something like a wave. It's something like that Terminator 2 substance behind our objective, you know, our objective uh, reality. Something like that. So it's got this problem at the most fundamental level of particle wave duality. It's hard to say that it's real exactly. It's hard to say that it's physical exactly. Because it sort of exists and doesn't exist. It exists in a state. And then as soon as you, as soon as you observe it, it changes and becomes something else. It's, it's difficult to even pin down. You might even ask whether it's, it's real, whether it even exists, if that's the case. And, you know, that may seem like a strange thing, but Niels Bohr said that. You know, one of the founders of quantum physics said that. He said, he said the things that we think of as real are made up of things that cannot be regarded as real. And that's what he meant. He was talking about... Particle wave duality, you know, things, that's not real. That's so weird. Things aren't like that. But, but at the most fundamental level, they are like that. Explain that away. And then there's this interesting thing with color, because, because we all associate light with color, and for good reason. You know, we know that when light is uh, absorbed or reflected from materials, that gives us the visible color spectrum that we see. You know, whatever is being uh, reflected off of that object is going to uh, hit our eyes and we're going to notice that color, the color that's being reflected. And we've all seen a prism. You know, we've all seen light shining through a prism and becoming a rainbow, let's say, on the other side. You know, that's weird. And it represents something that's very eerily similar to the way I describe God. And uh, I'll just go ahead and give you the analogy. God is one. And light is like that. Light, white light, like the light that comes off the sun. You know, it's, it's all of the colors of light together. And when you combine them, they become no color at all. It's white light. You shine that through a spectrum and suddenly you realize it's made up of the rainbow of colors. So what you end up having is something that's really one. That's how I would, I would explain God. God is one. 
God is the cosmos and consciousness all wrapped into one. It's one thing. It only seems like it's many things, you know, in, in our in our in material in our subjective material reality. It seems like many things, and that's what I mean. It's like you shine light through a prism, and it seems like it's many colors, but it's not. It's one. So there's this perception and illusion idea that I associate with um, with God, with consciousness. And you see it in light, and I think that's pretty cool. But it's only part of the picture, because when we talk about light, what we're really talking about is a piece of a spectrum called electromagnetic radiation. And it's more than just light. You know, we've got ultraviolet, we've got uh, UV, uh, excuse me, <laughs> UV and ultraviolet are the same. Um, so there's all sorts of, uh, you know, gamma rays and X-rays X and all kinds of other other things that are included in this spectrum of visible light. And that's a mystery. It's like, okay, you know, we lived um, a very long time as a, as a human race thinking that light was exactly what it seems to be, exactly what it looks like. And what we find out is, well, it's strange, you know, light always seems to come with heat, you know? Put your hands up to a light bulb or something. Um, sit, sit close to a fire. You can see light and heat always seem to go hand in hand. What's that about? You know, heat is energy. And it turns out that's what light is, electromagnetic energy. So the thing that we're seeing and the thing that we're feeling when we feel heat, that's some, that's some form of energy. And where does that come from? You know, it all comes from all sorts of places. It comes from combustion, like when you build a fire, or like the nitrogen, the, the, the fusion that's going on in, inside of the sun, you know, or the, the, the hydrogen, I should say. Um, and it's produced that way. So there's more to light than meets the eye. You know, it's more than what's visible to us. That's only a part of it. In fact, it's this much, much larger system of, of energy. And what's energy? You know, energy is strange because it's hard to pin down exactly. It's like we understand something like the Big Bang. Uh, scientifically, we understand sort of that idea and how it might have happened. Um, where that energy came from? Well, that's a religious question. But the idea that there was all of this energy created in the Big Bang and that energy turned into the matter that we see in the cosmos and pushed everything along to make everything spin and rotate and orbit just like it's doing right now. Like all of that work, that's coming from the energy that's out there. The energy that's out there in, this, in cosmos and space, you know, in all sorts of forms and fashions. Where did it come from? It came from the Big Bang. That's what science tells you. All of the energy that exists, period, came from one event in the beginning. Now that's a religious question all of a sudden. It's really interesting because it does, you know, it happens to feature pretty, pretty uh, front and center in, in religion, light. So we've got this electromagnetic radiation that, you know, is the origin of all matter, and it's the thing that it's the thing that makes the universe tick. It, it caused all the motion in the world. You know, things don't move without force, without energy, right? So where did it, where did it come from? The energy that's causing the cosmos to expand forever. The energy that's causing the planets to spin. The energy that caused, you know, all the gases in the primordial, you know, uh, big, you know, after the Big Bang to coalesce and, you know, gravity and the whole thing. It's energy of some kind. 
And it's interesting because science will show, I don't know if you've ever seen this, if you haven't, maybe you should look this up. There's a picture you can see of the observable universe. And you might wonder, how do people know what, what's observable in the universe and what it looks like? That seems pretty interesting. It turns out we can map the electromagnetic radiation from the Big Bang. We can map it out in space. It's called the cosmic microwave background radiation. And that, if you look that up, you'll see there's a picture uh, of it, what looks like a map. And it's, it's, it's basically a snapshot of what all of that radiation, what of all that energy looks like that we can, that we can see. You know, when I say that we can see, I mean that's had time to reach the Earth. So everything that's possible to know, anything that's possible to observe, comes from energy. The same, and that's, again, just a form of light, the energy that originated from the Big Bang. And here's something even cooler about energy and light. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's something called, called vacuum energy. And, and this, is, this is basically what it is. Scientists tried to figure out, could you remove everything from a space? And when, when they started working on that, they found pretty quickly that you, could, that you create a vacuum. So you can imagine, if you have a straw, and the straw is full of air, and you put one finger over the bottom of the straw and you suck all the air out, what happens? The straw collapses, right? Why? Because what you've done is you've sucked out all of the gases there and you've created a vacuum. And so what happens when you create a vacuum is space sort of collapses on itself, right? It's like it never wants to let you. There's something about the laws of physics that never want to allow nothing. Like nothing can exist. And if you try to create a space that contains nothing, it just collapses on itself. You can't do it. Well, we've been working on that problem for a really long time. And we found something pretty interesting. We got sophisticated enough to create a vacuum, a really intense vacuum. And what we found is that even when you do that, even when you are as successful as it's possible to be to, to remove everything from a space, that what you have is a vacuum with something in it, something that you can't remove regardless of how hard you try. It's called vacuum energy. What is vacuum energy? Nobody knows. Nobody has any idea. So you've removed everything from the space. Should be nothing there. But energy's poof, there. Nothing you could do about it. You remove it, and it's there. There's nothing you can do about it. You cannot get rid of vacuum energy. And what does that mean? That means the place that light comes from. The Big Bang where all of the energy, you know, that, that's, that's the cosmos, essentially, where all of that came from. That it sort of rests on this, on this, this immortal foundation of vacuum energy. So, in a nutshell, if you want to have as close to nothing as possible, what you end up with is nothing, with just a whisper of energy that you can never get rid of. A whisper of energy, energy that can become light, energy just like what created the Big Bang, that brought everything into being. So there is a crazy mystery behind light. Now, how is that, how is that 
translated into kind of psychological and, and mythological stories, you know? You know, we've been experiencing light and energy and physics and the cosmos for a very long time. Uh, longer, certainly, by a long shot than we've had sophisticated scientific tools and explanations at our disposal. And we've come up with all sorts of stories and explanations over that time without the benefit of science. And there's some really interesting stuff. So I want to say, I'm not sure how to tee this up exactly, but there's this idea, and this came up when we were doing our episodes on postmodernism, that language is something like the way Carl Jung describes archetypes from a psychological perspective. That language is like, you've got some meaning, and it's not exactly clear what that meaning is. And we'll call that a word. That word's supposed to carry some meaning. And really what that meaning turns out to be is a field of association. So what do I mean by that? Um, uh, I'm coming up with, a, with an example on the spot. But let's just say the idea or the word is something like a dog. Now if you're a dog person or a cat person, let's say, you might have different associations of what, of what comes to mind when you think of a dog. I'll give you mine. Here's my cloud of association. When somebody says the word dog, I think of things like big, lovable, cuddly, slobbery, you know, uh, dog. I think of a Labrador, a black lab. I think of a, a golden retriever. I think, I think of a dog licking my face, happy to see me, shaking its tail. I think of fond childhood memories, you know. Um, wrestling with the dog, playing tug-of-war with the dog. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things like that that come to my mind. If I were a cat person, or if I were somebody, let's say, that uh, got bit by a dog when I was a kid and I have a phobia about dogs, when somebody says dog, I might think of fear, pain, nightmares. I might think of, you know, um, a whole different set of things. And every single person who hears the word dog is going to have a different set of those associations. So the meaning behind dog is basically different for everyone with a certain amount of overlap. And it's the overlap that allows us to be on the same page. It's the overlap that allows us to communicate with each other and understand even the, in the vaguest way what the other person is thinking or understanding. But what the, what the meaning behind the word is, is, is really a cloud of associations that get more and more ab abstract. So, you know, you remember when I said that what comes to my mind is like lovable, slobbery kisses from a dog. And I might say, okay, well, what, what's associated with that? Warmth and comfort and, you know, I don't know. What, what's associated with warmth, with warmth and comfort? Maybe a hug, maybe a love, maybe a bath. And all of these words are now associated with this idea of a dog, and it's different for everybody. And it just goes on and on and on to, in more and more abstract ways until the, what we're talking about has nothing to do with the dog anymore. And there's no end to it. So every word is like that. It's got infinite associations. And there's some level of over, overlap between, between you know, any two people. So there's this idea that that very same notion applies to particles on a quantum level. Remember I said photons are these quantum particles, and they exist they exist in a real way as a, as a particle that, you know, let's say that can interact with, with something else when it's being observed. 
And when it's not being observed, it's something more like a cloud of association. And that's, and that's exactly how quantum physics describes it. They describe it as a probability cloud. It's something that has electrons that might be here or might be there, and they could interact with this or that. It's this cloud of sort of fuzzy, uh, you know, well, things like um, charge and spin, the things, the things that you would use to describe quantum particles. Those are the things that are surrounding the, the reality of this, of this quantum particle, of this photon. It's like, a, it's like an, a cloud of associations, a cloud of probability is how they would describe that in physics. And I tell you all that just to say that the same thing happens in mythology. And it's really what makes the idea of light or anything in mythology interesting. It's the cloud of associations that expand the meaning or maybe, maybe clarify or hone the meaning of what it is. So let's do that together and we'll, and we'll see what I mean. So I ask, what is light? So what, is, what are some things that come to mind in terms of associations when I say light? How about the sun? That's a good one. How about the sun? Is there a better, more obvious source of light for us here on Earth? No. Now, you could say stars as well, and I think that's legitimate, absolutely legitimate. You know, they, they shine in the heavens, and we look at them and see the light. Um, and whether we, whether we recognize that those stars way out in the distance were just something like our sun or not, is, is, it's not important. Both are a source of light. So light is associated with the sun. Light's also associated with sight, right? Because when it's nighttime, it's not as easy to see for us, right? So we also have an association of, of light with sight. And it's interesting because without sight, like I was, like I was asking in the beginning about, about what happened before there was light, you know, in the cosmos, and it, it, can we even make any sense of it? It's, it's the same with us, you know? Without sight... The question is, what, what's our experience of the world without sight? It's something less. It's something significantly less. Sight, we're such a visual creature. You know, and the parts of our brain that are associated with sight are very large and sophisticated, and speech as well. So sight is actually very highly correlated with our senses and our experiences, the things that we see. It's like our prime uh, sense is our ability to see. And then what's behind your eyes doing the seeing? Now, that's the thing we call consciousness. So now you have light in the sun in the same cloud of association as sight and consciousness. You know? And you don't have to be a scientist to do that. You just figure that out. It just all makes perfect sense. So let's get a little bit more abstract. Let's talk about the associations that surround light, the sun, sight, and consciousness. So the associations are going are to include things like warmth, like the day. Um, how about the day? See, the day is associated with things like the defeat of, of the night, the defeat of winter, you know, the defeat of death. So when the sun comes back, when the summer comes back, when the light comes back, you know, when the days get longer... Right, that's that's becomes this sort of mythological defeat of death and a defeat of winter, and so that's associated with rebirth. 
It's the new season. It's the new year. It's the new opportunity. You know, the year has been reborn. The sun has been reborn. And that's associated with the cycles, you know, the seasons, the years. We see these, this repetition and patterns. And so there's an association there with immortality, right? The sun comes back, it just defeats the winter. The day comes back, it defeats the night. And it always comes back, and it always comes back, and it always comes back. What always comes back is immortal. So the idea of light now has this association with the sun, with sight, with consciousness, with immortality. Let's talk about sight and consciousness together because those two ideas mythologically are so rich. You know, we, we talked about this before and Jordan Peterson did as well, but the idea that sight and consciousness get all sorts of mythological associations, the eye of Horus, the all-seeing eye. You know, what is that? That's the observer. That's consciousness. It's everywhere all the time. And in the mythological world... You know, I know I probably have a largely Christian audience, so let me just put it this way. Think about Santa Claus, or think about the idea of the idea of the angels or the watchers, let's say, um, or God, or St. Peter, um, keeping track of all your good deeds and bad deeds so that you can be judged uh, when you die and, and, and get to go to heaven or hell as a basis of that. The idea that there's always somebody watching. There's always somebody tallying up your good deeds and your bad deeds. What is that? It's the all-seeing eye. It's the thing that's always observing, that's always watching, that's consciousness ever-present all the time. Just like the sun up in the sky, ever-present all the time. The all-seeing eye, the eye of Horus, the king of the gods, the god that represents consciousness at the top of the hierarchy. And that's, the, and that's associated with the creator God. So suddenly now the idea of light is associated with the God that created the universe. And that's the sun God. That's Ra. That's Aten. Right? The sun God. The creator God. Interesting. There's also this idea of... That you see, you, know, you see even in the Bible when, uh, when Jesus was born and the wise men were following the star... So the, the light of the star is also seen as a guide. You know, you heard that, that phrase, guiding light, right? It's a soap opera, by the way, guiding light. But that's the idea. And that, that what the light holds is something like prophecy. It's something like being able to see the future. You know, reading the stars, right? Constellations and, and uh, astrology and, and, you know, following the, following the North Star, so you've got all of the all of these things associated with the sun and stars and light. Here's another interesting one. Um, I talked about it a little bit, but I want to talk about it again. Okay, so we we know the idea. We know the idea of. Well, where do I want to begin? Where do I want to begin? Let's talk about two characters. One from ancient Greece, um, ancient Greek mythology. You probably know him well. The god's name is Prometheus. Let's talk about Prometheus. And another, another mythological character you're probably more familiar with, the devil. Let's talk about Prometheus and the devil. What do you know about Prometheus? If you know anything about Prometheus, you know he's, 
He's connected to the story of Pandora, but he's also, more importantly, somebody who stole fire from the gods and gave it to mankind. Do you guys remember that? He put, he put the fire in a reed, you know, and he came back down and he gave, it to, he gave it to human beings. And he got punished for that in the story. But God said, you know, human beings were never supposed to have this great gift. And because you stole it from the gods and you, and you broke the rules and you gave human beings this thing they're not supposed to have, this divine thing, we're going to chain Prometheus to the top of this mountain where every day the vultures come and eat out his liver while he's alive. Remember, he's a god. He doesn't die. So he just suffers through the agony of having his skin ripped open and his liver ripped out and eaten right in front of him. And then he just heals and grows his liver back. And every single day the vulture comes back and has another lunch, courtesy of Prometheus. So you guys may know that story. You know, what does this have to do with light? Let's talk about Prometheus' name for a minute. If you're familiar with the Greek, and I'm not so much, but I, I, I know this much, the word Prometheus means forethought or foreknowledge. It's somebody who knows things before they happen. Somebody who knows the future. You know, foreknowledge, forethought. You know, something like the all-knowing. And that's how we understand Prometheus' name, but it's not how he's understood mythologically. He's understood mythologically as the bringer of fire. He's not... You know, in no meaningful way is the, is the name Prometheus as forethought important to the story exactly. Kind of. But what is important to the story is what he did. He brought fire to human beings. And what do they do with that fire, by the way? What well, brought about civilization? What does fire do? Fire allows you to protect yourselves from, from nature, from the animals, from the elements. It allows you to protect yourself from your enemy. It allows you to cook your food. It allows you to, you know, strengthen your, your wood and, and to make metal and to strengthen your metal, to make tools and, and weapons of war. It allows you to do all sorts of things, fire. And this is why it was so powerful. This is why the gods didn't want Prometheus to give it to human beings. All right, so Prometheus also, in the Latinized version, remember, he's called the bringer of fire or the bringer of of light. Why is that important? Why do I tell you that? Because in Latin, the bringer of light is a lucis fair. Lucis means light. Fair means to bear. The bringer of light is lucis fair. Lucifer. Isn't that interesting? So you've got this ancient Greek character, the bringer of fire who shows up in our own Judeo-Christian tradition as the sort of the anti-God character, Lucifer, the, king, the fallen angel, the king of the angels. Lucifer is also the, the bringer of light. You know, in the old days, Lucifer was associated with, this, with Venus, and Venus was called the morning star because it, because it was the brightest body in the morning. So you even have the devil associated with a star and also associated with Prometheus. Why? So this is a little bit more obscure, but, but the idea of Lucifer as the fallen angel is associated with some books that weren't included in the Bible that we've talked about, the book of Enoch in particular, where the fallen angels were more than just Lucifer, but a whole host of angels. 
And when they left heaven, what they did was they came to earth and taught human beings civilization. So just like Prometheus brings fire to human beings, and they use that to create civilization, the fallen angels come to, come to earth and teach mankind all of the same things. And the book of Enoch says all of this. It teaches them how to make weapons of war and tools out of metal. It teaches them how to, how to read the stars. It teaches them how to prophesy. It teaches them all sorts of things that lead to modern civilization. And then, of course, there's the, the other association with Lucifer, which goes back to the beginning of the Bible, which is also teaching mankind secret and hidden knowledge. You might remember that, the knowledge of good and evil, right? From the Garden of Eden. The devil, the snake, taught mankind, in a certain manner of speaking, the knowledge of good and evil. So now you have all of this associated originally with light and the sun and the stars. All right, let's talk about let's talk about Christianity for a minute because this I think is where this is where I think a lot of the interest recently has been reignited with this idea of light. It started with that episode we did on the Gospel of Thomas and learning about the early Christians and what they might have believed that is lost to us. And there was a passage there if you remember where where Jesus was telling his apostles how they should respond when the government comes after them, like they did with Jesus, and asks Jesus' followers who they are. And you remember this, this story happens in the Bible. And, uh, and, and Jesus has to be creative because he, because he, he well, he doesn't, want to get, he doesn't want to get thrown in jail, right? He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't want his ministry to be stopped and have to face the cross and all and, and all the other things that are going to happen to him until he's done what he needs to do. And he tells his, in the Gospel of Thomas, he tells his apostles how they should respond to the authorities to keep themselves out of trouble. When they say, who should we say we are? Jesus said, tell them you came from the light, from the place where the light was born of its own accord. Tell them you came from the light. That's interesting. Because you're not going to get in trouble. You know, it's hard. Because what the, what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to say was that he was God. So that they could kill him. Because that's blasphemy, right? And his apostles, essentially, are in the same position according to the Gospel of Thomas. Don't tell them that you're God. Tell them you came from the light. Amazing. And then also you have to, you have to remember that the book of Genesis, which is my favorite book, you know, the very beginning of the Bible that talks about the creation, that talks about the whole reason for the idea of God at all, to explain why there is something instead of nothing. And that reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so this is, this is describing... What's going on before anything has been created? And the first thing he says is, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And everything else falls from there. So there was a division between the light and the darkness. And this was this original separation. 
just like the separation of heaven and earth, just like the Mesopotamian story of, Mar- of Marduk and Apsu being separated in the beginning from the Ouroboros. You've got this original separation that causes all of the rest of creation. And where does that begin in Genesis? With the creation of light. That's super interesting. So you see the idea of light being created at the very beginning. That's not an accident. That's their own purpose. That's interesting. And then if you fast forward to to Jesus and you fast forward to the Gospels, especially John, that's quickly becoming my favorite Gospel, hands down. You've got Jesus who's referred to as the light of the world and the light of men. And what is the light of men? The Gospels say it's life. It's life. And you can understand that. Because when you're alive, you're filled with consciousness, right? Just one of those associations with light. You also see, you look in somebody's eyes, you see the light in their eyes. You see the reflection of the light in in their pupils. You see, I, I used this example the other day, when somebody is inspired, you know, they have a glint in their eyes. They have a glowing in the, behind their eyes. It's, it's noticeable. It's powerful. So I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this, all of these details, all of these associations that circle the idea of light, is you can see why it, it's so important mythologically. And you also see something interesting when you look at the big picture. You know, before I go there, before I go there, there's all sorts of other examples, mythological examples that we could talk about, um, like the burning bush, for instance. You know, when the when the when the Bible talks about God speaking to human beings, when when you have communication coming from the supernatural realm to the material world, it comes through light and fire. You see that in the burning bush. You see that in Ezekiel with the with the um, you know the, wheel, the vision of Ezekiel, the wheels within wheels, everything burning. You also see you also see some interesting examples like um, in the in the religion I've mentioned before that that influenced Judaism really heavily, um, Zoroastrianism from ancient Persia. You know they used to they used to think in the early days that those people worshipped fire. And they call them Mazda worshippers or fire worshippers. Because, because the Zoroastrians literally have in their holy places a shrine that is a fire, that is maintained by the priests to have this, this constantly burning fire. You can think about that like the Olympic flame or something. And it's because they believe that they can worship God through the fire. It's the same reason why in ancient times all over the world people would sacrifice and burn animals and burn food because the fire would turn, would turn the substance into smoke and bring it up to heaven so that, so that the gods could enjoy them. So you've got fire there. Even in Islam, I don't know if you guys know this, in Islam, the angels are described as different from, man, from mankind. Like Adam is made from earth, from clay. But the angels are made from fire. 
And in, and in the Quran, that's actually part of the evidence for the idea of the fallen angels, because the way it's described in the Quran is like, look, Lucifer was made from fire, from this, you know, ethereal, magical substance. Why should he bow to Adam, who was made from clay? He's a supernatural being, this angel. And Adam is this material, limited creature made from dirt. In Islam, in Islam, angels are made from fire. So all things considered, we take this as a big picture. And this is what I want to point out to you. We look at these associations of light from the angle of physics, from the angle of mythology, from the angle of religion. And what surprises me is that the idea of light is associated with consciousness, right? The thing behind your eyes that sees, that's able to see because of the light, it's consciousness. It's also associated with, with this interesting way of existing, this uncertain kind of halfway magical way of existing, the way that photons and quantum particles exist, sort of like a particle, sort of like a wave, all at the same time, as in a state of probability or potentiality, exactly the way that I describe God or you know the Terminator 2 substance behind our, our perceptions. So light is associated with immortality. Light is associated with particle wave duality. It's associated with energy, the Big Bang, the creation of the cosmos. It's associated with the vacuum energy that's always there, that can't be removed. And so it's associated with immortality, the thing that, the thing that lasts forever. It's associated with, with prophecy and reading the future and astrology and the stars. It's associated with, with Jesus. It's associated with, with the high gods, you know, of, of classical religions. It's associated with civilization, with the, with the birth of civilization. And it's the first thing created by God in the Bible. Let there be light. So I don't know about you, but it seems to me that there's something Oh, oh, and I forgot. I forgot, I forgot to, to reiterate the connection to time. The connection to time, right? The, the Einstein saying that, that the speed of light can never be broached. And if you try to, you're going to, you're going to change time, right? So everything in this association that I've pointed out, the idea of being pre-existent, the idea of consciousness, the idea of immortality, you know, the idea of, of creation and the Big Bang and time and, and the limits of physical reality, all of these things are characteristics of something else apart from light. They're associations with God. That's interesting. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. 